Turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. A few years ago, maybe longer than that, did a series on uh, the gospel according to Christmas carols. This year I want to revisit the series, but in a totally different way. We're not actually going to look at Christmas carols uh, like they come from tradition or uh, Victorian era Christmas carols. A lot of the ones we sing are, are from that time period or the Middle Ages or anything like that. So you don't have to worry we're not doing Good King Wenceslas or something like that today. Instead, what I want to do is look, there are three songs that, uh, they, and they were, they, we believe they were sung praises to God that were written spontaneously from the heart, just spoken spontaneously from the heart of people that were uh, a part of what, what we would call uh, all the Christmas part of the Gospel of Luke. And so today we're going to start with Mary. We'll also look at Zechariah's and uh, uh, Simeon's songs, and because they're they're rich in theology, and they they look at things that we often overlook. I was kind of inspired to do this uh, by an article called. I'm a, a fan of of reading books by a guy named N. T. Wright, theologian named N. T. Wright, and this other person wrote an article called "How N. T. Wright Ruined Christmas," and he means that in a good way, in a positive way, uh, just focusing us back on the things that matter. I'm not going to pull anything from that article or from N.T. Wright. Instead, it just kind of reminded me, you know, what if we just looked at these three songs and what did they first think? What was their reaction when they realized that God had become flesh, that the Messiah is God with us? What, what went through their hearts and their minds and what kind of hope did they draw from that? I think it's very different from the things that we think of a lot of times about Christmas. So the first one here, Mary, Mary's is deep in theology. We'll look at her theology here in a second because she definitely had one. Sometimes people think that, you know, all teenagers, they don't really think all that long and hard and deep about things. And that's not true at all. Uh, the, often teenagers have very deep theology and, and deep thoughts about God and deep questions about God and search out the scriptures and, and find all kinds of things out about their own faith and belief. So it's not a, it's not real that, that that's shallower as you go younger a lot of times. I think in many ways, when Jesus said, I want you to become like little children, I think he actually sometimes meant stop being so shallow. Because sometimes the older we get, the shallower our theology gets, the shallower our faith gets. And it becomes more about us even than about God. We can actually Oddly enough, I've become more selfish instead of less selfish. And I think that's part of what Jesus was trying to get at. So we're going to look at a 16-year-old girl's theology. That's how we would see her if she were standing here in the room today. We look back and clearly she matured earlier than a lot of other 16-year-olds throughout history have. Spiritually, I'm speaking. Uh, but there's a lot here to learn. So let's look at what she says and, and what her response was first. Uh, so she has just been told that she is going to bear the Messiah as a baby. And, of course, that raises a lot of questions for Mary. And uh, she knows that she's not been with her betrothed in a, a sexual way. So she's like, I think that's how things work. And uh, that, that hadn't happened. How is that going to happen? And so the angel says, you don't worry about that part. And the Holy Spirit, as you know, comes upon her and... Jesus, I almost said Jesus, I don't know where that just came from. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, 
Her question was answered, but Joseph's wasn't. So then Joseph is like, excuse me, say what? And then God reveals to Joseph, hey, this really is from me. You just hold on. It's going to be a ride. And he says, okay. We have no words from Joseph, but by his actions, we know. He said, okay, I can deal with that. And he and he did. Then we know that, of course, people around, you know, the water well and the cooking pot and the market and the synagogue would have had questions and would have had assumptions. And you know how dangerous assumptions can be and all of that kind of stuff. And so all of this would have been swirling through her head, swirling through her heart. You can just imagine the emotions that you would have had. And what she does is she decides, I got to go see Elizabeth. Elizabeth was her relative, and apparently they were quite close. It seems to me she probably goes to Elizabeth because there is probably a uh, a bit of a, a a mentor relationship there with her. She's a, 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 not just a relative. She's a friend and a confidant, and she goes to tell Elizabeth what she's just learned and probably to say, Elizabeth, I know you've been going through a thing yourself. How have you been dealing with this? Because remember, Elizabeth is going to have a baby as well. There's not... Just one miraculous birth going on at a time here. She is going to give birth to John the Baptist. And she's probably already showing. I'm going to assume if you can do somersaults in the womb, that's already... Is that right? Doctor said yes. <laughs> so she's probably already showing. And so Mary goes over to Elizabeth and is like, Elizabeth, you're not going to believe what I just heard. Well, Elizabeth feels inside her John the Baptist, as I said, doing somersaults inside. And kind of confirming to Mary that this baby, which is a gift and a miracle of God, confirms that you are having a baby that is a gift and a miracle of God. Which, by the way, I'm just going to take I'm going to take time. I don't want to like embarrass anybody, but baby Andrew is here today. How cool is that? So as long as we're talking about cool little babies, God's been working on. And so they they are probably nervous. They're probably excited. They're probably Everything in the world I can't even think of and don't even understand about all of this. And in response to all that, here's what Mary sings. We call it the Magnificat next week. That'll be our song during the communion uh, so that we can hear it that way. Let's read this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud of the thoughts of the hearts, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So she pours out this song and we'll look at some of the aspects of it here in a second. But she pours out this song that is just rich in praise and in worship because her heart is just absolutely overwhelmed. She just is overcome. And when she's overcome, she's not overcome with worry or with fear. Those things may have been there. I think probably at times they were, just like with any other young mother. But in this moment, what she is really overwhelmed by is 
praise for who God is and the depths of his love and his mercy and what he's done. She's just overwhelmed by it. And I hope that you have had, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but I hope that you have had times where you looked at what God has done for you and what God is doing in your life, and whether that's big big picture things or small personal things, I hope that you've had those moments where you would look at him and just be overwhelmed with, oh, thank God for what he's done. I think Christmas is born out of that kind of a response. The celebrations and the traditions of that is born out of that kind of response to, can you believe that God is doing this? That he actually has come in the flesh, lived just like us and among us, taken on everything that we go through. You know, Hebrews says he was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. And that one thing, that he has been through what you've been through and shown you that it's possible to be faithful and victorious. And he's shown you that it's possible to hold on to God and even the toughest of times. And just if it was just that one thing, but it's, it's not just that thing. He's shown you in the prayers he's answered in your life. He's shown you in the things that he's gotten you through so far. He show, will show you in the things that he will get you through in the future. She looks at all of that and is overwhelmed. And she says, my soul just magnifies the Lord. I think the way I would describe that is that she's just ecstatic. She's so full of joy that she's ecstatic. You know that she didn't walk up to Elizabeth and say, hey, Elizabeth, you know what I'm about to do? Going to have baby. Ought to be pretty cool. Whoa. You know it wasn't like that. I think I'm going to get into huge trouble for this, so I'm not going to mention any names of anyone who may or may not be in this room. All things will be changed for the innocent. But there were these two girls named Susie and Susie Q. This is how my grandmother would have done that. Uh, and they were the other day at a basketball game where there were these tall Australians. And do you know the chatteriness of gir teenage girls when they get around tall teenage Australians? you know how that works? <laughs> like that. You know, I think they spoke in tongues, but I'm not telling you who any of them were. But I'm, I'm pretty sure they're so excited and so this and so that. And you know that that's how Mary would have been, don't you? It would have been like chattering chipmunks. <laughs> and it just gone on. It would have been incredible. She's just ecstatic about all of this. And she's jumping up with joy and my soul just magnifies the Lord. And one other thing that I think is really cool in moments like that. She is overwhelmed and that can go both positive and negative. Overwhelmed with joy, overwhelmed with, oh my goodness, how is this going to work? God, are you sure? And why me? Ecstatic with joy of God's promises unfolding. We know that's what it was about. But she's also well-grounded. Could you see yourself or people you know getting a little bit full of hot air over being, well, you know, God chose me to be the mother of his baby. Oh, good grief. I, I know some people. Don't you know some people where that would have been insufferable the, the way that would have worked? Or, and, and not just if Mary had been that way, but Joseph. Are there some men who would have just held that over you the whole rest of your life and just, you know, 
it's my boy, you know, even though really, you know, it's sort of, sort of, sort of, sort of not, you know. But it wouldn't have stopped some people. And there's none of that. There's none of that. She's excited that God would honor her. But she's most excited about what God is going to do that is bigger than her. That is more than her. And so if you look at, at her song, you know, the I've always said pronouns tell the story. And it's not about her, is it? It's about God. It's about what he's going to do. It's about how the world's going to change because of the Messiah that she carries in her womb. So she's really well grounded. I think you look at that, even just in this little bit of this passage. But if you look at her life as a whole, you really start to get, you know, why did God choose her? She may have had questions about why would God choose me? But I think as third party observers, we look at it and it's very easy to see why God would choose this young lady. She had an incredible heart and focus. And part of that was she was really grounded in humility and in a trust of God and, and knowing that this was really about him and, and about what he was going to do. So what was he going to do? She talks about things both that he's going to do and things that he has done. And uh, let's just kind of go through this verse by verse and look at these. I'm, not, I'm picking up the clicker because it was supposed to be clickable, but I did have technology challenges today. So if you have the version Bible app, these are all in there. I want to start in uh, in verse 49 or 8, excuse me, verse 48. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So she starts off humbly and saying, God is incredible. And all that he sees, you know, when she does talk about herself, he's, he's just noticed my humble estate. And it's not, this isn't like somebody wearing the little ribbon that says, you know, I have a humble estate. This is her saying, you know, I'm really nobody, and yet God uses me. And she's not saying, so I must be somebody. She's saying, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just a normal everyday person, and yet God cares. Just like for every normal everyday person in this room, God cares and he sees you and he loves you and he hears you and he cares for you and he will use you to accomplish his mission on this earth just as he used Mary to accomplish her part of his mission on this earth. It says he has been mindful of my humble estate, calls herself a servant. And then verse 49, he who is mighty. So what does she think God is? Mighty. The Almighty God, Yahweh, Jehovah God. He is mighty and He has done great things for me. And second, holy is His name. There are a few passages in Scripture that really kind of echo through what she says. The interesting thing is, some of them had already been written. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. In fact, if you got your Bible, turn over to Exodus 34, 6 and 7. I'm going to cheat. I got three bookmarks in my Bible. And uh, we've just been looking at this in the uh, men's class on Wednesday night, uh, the first six weeks of this quarter. We were looking at this passage and the characteristics of God that are mentioned in it. So Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, this is God speaking. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children of the third and the fourth generation. And don't get lost in that part. Basically, what he's saying is he forgives sin and he forgives transgression. Uh, other tra- translations word it this way. It's a little bit clearer, but he doesn't overlook what goes wrong in the world. He doesn't overlook true guilt in the world. And what he's talking about is unrepented of guilt. He forgives those who repent, but he doesn't pretend that reality isn't reality. He deals with reality as it is. And so if you come to him for forgiveness, guess what you get? Forgiveness. And if you didn't come, guess what? You know, it's that simple. That's all he's saying. Uh, But the characteristics of who God is, that he is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love love and faithful. You see these words echoing throughout Mary's song. Because Mary's been listening. This is said several other places in Scripture as well, always echoing what God revealed to Moses. And so does Mary. She'd paid attention. She'd heard the word of God. She'd made it a part of her heart. And so when she responds, that's what she responds with. Whatever our circumstances, good, bad, or ugly, you know, we respond to those things based on what is in our heart. Jesus said it this way, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Other people have said it's like a tube of toothpaste. Under pressure, you get whatever was in there. When we go through difficult times, how do we respond? We make excuses and say, well, you know, I'm having a hard time. Okay, that's true, but it's only squeezing out what's there. When Mary was faced with a great challenge, what was there? My soul magnifies the Lord. He is mighty. He is holy. He is just. We'll go on. He, she, the next one is straight out of this Exodus 34, verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's a merciful God. What would she want to praise God for in that moment? There's a lot of things that we focus on at Christmas, but these are the things that people that were there focused on. The mercy and the kindness of God. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. This is maybe the part of the Christmas story that gets lost. He shows strength in his arm. It's for the protection and the defense of his people against the enemies of Israel and God. The enemies of, he'll get to, she will get to in a second, the enemies of the poor and those in need, those who are oppressed. This was Mary's focus. Who was her heart for? And who does she say God's heart is for? That God uses his strength to defend those who need to be defended. To stand up for those who need someone to stand up for them. To protect the innocent. To stand with his people. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down, 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble and exalts the humble. Always. She knew this. This is who God is. And this is what she proclaims. 
He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. Where is that repeated? Thirty years later, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. She already knew that. He has shown strength in his arms, scattered the proud, brought down the mighty, filled hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, somebody in the room is going to go, well, now, wait a minute. That's not wrong to be rich. No, it's not. Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy. God made a lot of people wealthy. He made them wealthy in their faithfulness. But those who were wealthy and unfaithful, what did God do? He scattered. He deposed. He withdrew. What you have used to His honor and glory to help those who don't. This is what Mary says God is all about. Helping those that are uh, less fortunate than yourselves. Verse 54. So God is generous. When we're generous, we're like God. When we're not, we're not. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. So He's faithful to promises. Mary trusted promises made to Abraham hundreds of years before, centuries and centuries before. But she trusted them because God is faithful. Period. God keeps His promises. To Mary, this is the message of Jesus coming into the world. That we serve a holy and mighty God who is merciful, strong, compassionate, just, righteous, faithful, and maybe the most important thing that makes this particular event more uh, powerful than many others, He is with us. That He is Emmanuel, God with us. This incredible God that she saw as such a power and a force for what is right is not a God who just is like the deists would believe, who just wound up the clock and set it on the table and watches it runs out, but never touches it again. That is not our God. He is not a God that we have to worry about being temperamental and who doesn't keep His promises because He got mad at us today. He is a faithful and just and forgiving, merciful God. He is not a God who shows favoritism, and chooses the powerful over those who are just everyday citizens. He is not a God who shows favoritism and only chooses those who were successful by the world's standards. He chooses those who live by faith. And He's faithful to all who follow them, follow Him by faith. And He is with us. We serve an incredible God. And when we see who He really is, Man, you'd think we'd sing like Mary, wouldn't you? Just absolutely exuberant, straight from the heart, spontaneously on fire for God. It's not fully spontaneous, because you've been to church enough times you know what I'm about to say. But the heart with which you sing today, let it be a heart as open and free and praising as Mary's, because we serve an incredible God.
He's not just just. He's not just mighty. He's not just holy. He's all those things for you, with you, and among you. 